The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled, terrified, and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the pro of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead, and on the third day, rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you to be seated. This past year has offered us a lot of practice in focusing on what we couldn't do and what we didn't have, right? We can't go out. We can't travel. We can't eat at our favorite restaurants. We can't go to the office. We can't go to the movies. We can't gather for worship or for quilt group or for book club or for men's group or for prime timers or pub theology or Sunday school or even for coffee. We can't make our Saturday's miracle breakfast. We can't sing. We can't hug. And the list goes on, right? And then there's just the usual stuff like we don't have enough space. We may not have enough volunteers. We may not have enough money. We don't have enough young families. We can't send more money to the Senate, even though God just sold our lots and put $500,000 into our bank account, because if we give $50,000 away, we might not have enough for the future. Because no matter what we have, we always think it's not enough and that we're going to need something else. That's just human nature. It's human nature to think that we could be better that we could somehow do better, that we could really succeed if we just had something else. Marketers exploit that every day. Marketers tell us, if you just had our product, our seminar, our weight loss program, 
our investment program, then you'd be happy and successful and all would be well. Our thing, they say to us, is the only thing you need to succeed. Which is what the serpent told Eve in the Garden of Eden. There she and Abraham, Abraham, I'm sorry, not Abraham, Adam. There she and Adam were. They're living in perfection, right? The Garden of Eden represents the perfection of creation. Surrounded by every kind of imaginable fruit and everything else that's good to eat. And the fragrance of blossoms are wafting on balmy breezes and the soothing sounds of birdsong and babbling brooks accompany them all the day long. And they had one another and they had God. Because the Lord God would join them every evening in the garden and take walks with them and talk with them. So when you think about it, every evening at sundown, they had an opportunity to ask God any question they wanted and to receive direct help and advice. But instead of focusing all that they had, all that God had given them, not to mention the very power and presence of God, Adam and Eve fixated on the one thing they didn't have, the fruit of the only God-forbidden tree, which the serpent said would give them knowledge. If you just had that fruit, the serpent said, imagine what you could be. We are often blind. And we miss all that we could be doing and enjoying because we're always discounting and ignoring the possibilities and the potential that could be unleashed by what we already have. You maybe heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000. One day in Galilee, a crowd of thousands of people have gathered to hear Jesus' teaching. It gets to be evening. The, the apostles tell Jesus just before sundown, it's getting dark. Send them all home. Send them away so they can go and get something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And the disciples look around and they look at him in shock and they say, we haven't got enough food for all of these people. Besides, a year's wages wouldn't buy enough. There it is again, focusing on what we haven't got. So Jesus tells them to go out and find out what they do have. And then he says he wants them to come back with an inventory, and this time he'd like to know what you have, not what you don't have. So they go out into the crowd, and a little while later they come back, and they say, well, here's what we've got. We've got five loaves of bread and two salt fish. And, of course, they also have Jesus, which is no small thing. And he breaks the bread and he passes it to the people and everyone eats and they have more leftovers than they could possibly carry. But we are always forgetting about the presence and the power of God to turn a little bit into a lot. On the first Easter, two disheartened disciples, Cleopas and somebody else, are walking down the road to Emmaus. Emmaus is where they live. And as they walk along, they're joined by a stranger who asks them, what are y'all talking about? And they say, what? Haven't you heard that how 
how the one that we thought was the Messiah has been crucified, and besides all that, you know, it's been three days, we're pretty down in the mouth. Without him, there's no new kingdom. Without him, nothing's going to change. But the stranger is Jesus, although they, of course, don't know that yet. And he begins to point out to them what they do have. He directs their attention to what they have, to the scriptures, the writings of the prophets, the promises of God, and Jesus' own promise that he would return. And they're still talking about that when they get to Cleopas' house. And it's getting dark, and so they offer to share their home with him for the night. Stay with us tonight. Let us serve you supper. They extend that basic, very basic Middle Eastern hospitality. That's the least they can offer. They act, they invite, they share. And when they sit down at the supper table, Jesus picks up the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and hands it to them. And in that moment, they can see that the Lord is with them. Today, 11 apostles plus Cleopas and whoever the other companion was, because Cleopas and the other companion have gotten up from the dinner table, left Jesus there, I guess, and hightailed it back to Jerusalem. And they are in the room with the 11 apostles and some other friends who were all gathered there in Jerusalem. And Cleopas and this traveling partner are telling the others about their experience. And everybody's talking about what could this mean? And suddenly Jesus appears and he shows them his hands and his feet and they don't know what's happening and they're terrified and they think he's a ghost, some phantom, some spirit out of the netherworld. It can't be Jesus. He's dead. This is impossible. And Jesus asks them, have you got anything to eat? What have you got? That's always his question. What do you have? And they offer him some broiled fish, and he takes it and eats it. And every time we offer Jesus what we have, he does something amazing with it, like suddenly they realize this is no ghost, but the resurrected Son of God. And then he tells them to get moving, to take some initiative. He says, be my witnesses. And he tells them to go and to think big and to do the impossible, to go into all the world, the whole world. That's our mission statement, to go into the, all the world, beginning with Jerusalem, with where we're at right this minute, proclaiming the risen Christ. Five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 plus people. A dinner guest is is suddenly revealed as the risen Lord. Scripture begins to make sense when it's shared with the stranger. Thirteen negative apostles and disciples in an inner room go dashing into the streets on Pentecost, healing the lame and the sick, preaching in every known language, inspiring thousands of people to be baptized, and then they head out with courage and passion, witnessing to all the world, and the church is born. And following this Pentecost moment, there is not a single pessimistic note anywhere in the New Testament. It's time to start using what we have. 
to go big with our plans and to trust the power and the presence of God to do amazing things with us. So let's start a new list. Let's list all our assets. Let's list all the things we do have and all the things we can do and maybe take a leap of faith. During 2020, God's been doing some pretty amazing things. And maybe we haven't been paying attention. We've been looking past the fruit all around us, the one thing we think maybe we still need. We have had six young couples in the last year contact us, yes, to be married, but more importantly because they're looking for a church community, a place to get married, but also a place to get involved, to belong, a place to really make a difference. They look at our website, they see all the things we've ever done for other people and how active we've been, and they say, you know, maybe this is the one. We have former Saturday's Miracle Breakfast guests. And I'm, for those who are on Zoom or who don't know what Saturday's Miracle is, almost nine years ago, now actually March was nine years ago, we started serving a breakfast every Saturday morning, a hot, full buffet spread to anybody who wanted to show up for any reason. We didn't ask questions. You didn't have to qualify. If you were here because you were lonely, great. If you were here because you wanted to help out, great. If you were here because you were hungry, fine, whatever. And we had this amazing community born that gathered every Saturday in our fellowship hall of unlikely people who probably otherwise would never have met one another. But it was a good thing. And now we couldn't do it for the last year for lots of reasons. I mean, the obvious ones. But now they're calling us, these people who used to come every week. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, when will the breakfast start up again? And I say, I don't know. I know we're going to need volunteers. And they say, I will help. This time they want to come back not just to eat, but to actually serve we have over $400,000, I think, in the bank that we didn't have a year ago. That's incredible. We've never had that much money in the bank since I've been here in the last 16 years. We have inspired visitors with music and with the talent of our musicians. And we're educated and we're literate and we're privileged people. And in this congregation, what do we have? We have people who can sew and we have people who can build and fix things. And we have artists, cooks, writers, public speakers, teachers, people who love history, people who can throw a party and who know how to make other people feel at home. We have attorneys, doctors, we have salespeople, program managers, fundraisers, recruiters, IT and computer specialists. We have folks who send nice cards and have the gift of encouragement and thoughtfulness, trainers, marketers, people with a heart for the poor, the sick, the elderly, the disenfranchised. We have people that know how to grieve. We have people who know how to live with mental illness. We have a green team that's focused on the stewardship of the earth. We have youth and children who possess energy and who still believe in the impossible. We have an apple orchard. We have engineers who can design things, people with the skills and knowledge to heal and bring wellness, people who understand business and who can manage people and money. We have those who are committed at prayer. We have a new cookbook. We have a building, a place to gather with heat 
and air conditioning and furniture and electricity and running water and a sewer line and flush toilets, which is more than most congregations in the world can say. We have relationships. We have a place to welcome and a place we can share. We have thousands of people who are not members of this church, but who are willing to join their assets and abilities with ours for the sake of the world. We have the Leewood AA group who are like family. We have Creating Connections who are renting space to us and ministering to autistic children. We have hosted the Mankind Project, Men Helping Other Men. We have friends with all the other ELCA congregations here in the city, across our states, across the United States, across the Americas. We have people in congregations around the world, just a phone call or an email away. We have friends and partnerships with Christians in other denominations. We have friendships with people of other faiths. And then there are our own personal relationships. For my birthday, I started a fundraiser on Facebook. I've seen other people doing that. And I named our church as the nonprofit that I wanted to support. And we've already raised $300 in three days. I should have asked or set a higher goal if you did that for your birthday, we might get several thousand. The ELCA is offering grant money. The ELCA is offering money to congregations to start new ministries for the disabled, to improve access for people who are visually impaired, hearing impaired. I mean, can we relate to some of this? To people who maybe have physical or mental challenges, mental health challenges, and we have a lot of personal experience, so the opportunity is there. What if we became groundbreaking leaders who could gather the resources to develop new programs and new resources that would really make a difference to people who were, so, who were facing these challenges? What if we could do that in this church what if we set that example and inspired others and could pass that on to other congregations, not just in the ELCA, but of other denominations as well? The ELCA is also offering a little bit of money to help us kickstart and reopen. They are asking us to imagine what we would like to do and then offering to help pay for it. The money is sitting on the table. The only limit is our own imaginations and our own abilities, our own willingness to trust in the power and presence of God. We need to stop thinking about what we can do and instead start looking at what God might want to do with us. Because Jesus is risen and God is with us and God's message to us has not changed. You have the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the life of God within you. I have given you all power and authority, Jesus has said, to heal the sick, to welcome the stranger, to free the captive, to proclaim good news to the poor, to love and forgive in my name. What more could we possibly need? What more? 
Now go and be my witnesses, Jesus says. You'll be amazed at what you can do, for I am always there with you.